0: Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas, chef owner of several of uh, Seattle's finest joints, I like to think in my own little pea brain. Uh, we have a serious takeout out there in Ballard of 52nd and 14th Northwest. Just last week, we've opened up the Dahlia Bakery here in downtown Seattle, four times its original size. Thank you, thank you. Uh serious pie has moved around the corner to give us some table separation. And uh, where I'm going to be spending my weekend this weekend is Sea Town Restaurant down in the North End area of the Pike Place Market. Uh, it is a, a combination of Sea Town, Eddas, and the Rub Shack, and there's lots of outdoor dining. Although I'm afraid this weekend people are going to want indoors, and now we're screwed. So we'll have to see about that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for joining us. We're here two hours every weekend, and I am joined by my good pal
1: Terry Rotiro, the chef in a hat here in Madison Valley, and Tom. You're a smart man. I would be sitting by the Puget Sound if I could this weekend as well. That is where the breeze is going to be. Very Mm -hmm. nice to be. We have Luke in Madison Valley and uh, Tuesday through Saturday. Come on down and see us. We have a nice patio covered. We have air conditioning inside.
0: Inside. Lovely. I hope it stays working all weekend. Can you imagine how busy the uh, HVAC people are going to be this weekend? Holy smokers! You know, Terry, when I leave downtown, uh, it's, you know, it could be 85 degrees. But by the time I get to my house up in the north side of Ballard there, we get that cool Puget Sound uh, breeze. It's literally 10 degrees less by the time I get home. Pretty much Right. On cue, right. on every every time. So,
1: Tom, you should think about having a winter restaurant in downtown and a summer one in Balu.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I do. Uh, we do a lot of work with evening, the uh, the TV show on King Five after the news, seven o'clock after news. Right. This week, I made two recipes on cherries, and man, they are good this year. So, if you haven't gotten out to get your cherries yet, there isn't a better time than right now. They are peak of the season. Uh, yesterday, I had the Rainier's and the Vans cherries, uh, both delicious. Had some bings, uh, really good. And we're going to talk uh, cherries and how we love to eat them here in the show. Uh, my old cook, As- Ace and uh, Sebastian, who go by Aslan and Sebastian now, are going to be here to talk about their new bakery, Oso Negro Baking Company, Black Bear Baking Company And so I'm looking forward to hearing about them. I hadn't heard since they left us and they went to South America. He's he's from Chile, and uh, I hadn't heard from them since. So, boom, let's let's get into that. Um, How to make your best marinades. Wet marinades are coming up today. Renee Erickson is here with her new book uh, called Get Away, the food and drink transport that you need to get away. So a little, I think, a biography of her trips abroad and how she's learned what she's learned have her for two whole segments today looking forward to that tasty variations on the niçoise salad pamela you brought your favorite cookbook in and i don't know if you know this or not but i have four cookbooks oh i reference them occasionally oh okay good <laughs> just saying and chef terry has a cookbook you know I, but she came in like bursting like here's my favorite cookbook I was like, oh great it's called salad for president and it's uh and it's just a big entree dinner salads right
2: Yep, and it is inspired by artists, so all of them are beautifully
0: crafted. Ah. That's what's super cool about it. All right, we're going to talk about the classic niçoise salad today, and Chef's going to take us through a classic, and I'm going to uh, put my little seat-of-the-pants effort on it, because uh, that's what I do. And then, of course, at the end of the day, we're going to play Food for Thought, Rub with Love, Tasty Trivia, like we do Every week, right, Pam? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, who, do,
1: who do we fight? Who do we fight this week?
0: This week we're taking on our uh, sound and, and uh, our sound producer right here in the studio, Sean McFadden. Uh, he has stepped up to get crushed by Chef Terry and myself. <laughs> uh, easy now, easy. I know I got get crushed easy, last, Jack. didn't I? Lose? Uh, no, you lost last week. I think. Okay, my yes, taste of the I week. I, I I teased you with the cherry segment coming up. And uh, we, uh, my taste of the week is what I made for evening. It's going to be on the week of July 4th, and it's a cherry barbecue sauce. And I was, uh, I was mm. just showing how simple it is to use Washington cherries and how to pit them. Uh, I, my favorite little pitter is the OXO, O-X-O pitter, because it's got a little guard. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you're pitting cherries, you know, often the apron in front of you looks like you've been shot in the, you right. know, shot right. in the gut. But this little thing has a little splash guard, which keeps all the splattering uh, contained. It's just a perfect little pitter, I think. And so uh, we we used that. And then I took a bunch of browned onions. I took a, uh, like maybe a half a pound of brown onions, a pound of uh, bing cherries, and about two cups of cider vinegar. And I pureed it all together with salt and pepper. I didn't put any heat in it. I just, you know, would you, obviously you could put... You know, something in my mind would be like green Tabasco would be fun there, like a green chili. But I didn't put any heat in it. I just pureed it up in the uh, KitchenAid mixer, and boom, I had this perfect little glaze for chicken skewers. Mm. It would work on salmon, it would work on pork, anything really. And it was just a perfect little barbecue sauce. And, you know, I make and sell barbecue sauces in stores all over the city. And I would be honored to put this one up in our line. I don't think I can because it's hard to find cherries like that, but really good. What's your taste of the week, Chef?
1: Well, I went to a friend of mine, um, two friends, Dave and Scott, and uh, they made an appetizer. They made a little appetizer of uh, um, hummus or different dipping, goat cheese and different things But most importantly, he made a handmade, a carta de musica, which is basically a flatbread uh, or flat cracker, I should say, but with all kinds of herbs put into the dough. Mm -hmm. So you make the dough. It's just flour and water and a little salt. And you make the dough and you put it through a pasta roller. And then on the sheets, you put all those different fresh herbs. Then you put another sheet and roll it again. And then you've got this beautiful cracker. And I thought this was a great thing to look up to for most customers right now, or listeners, I should say, mainly because it's so hot. You know, Sunday, I have a couple of friends coming over. I'm doing five different salads. No hot food, just cold. Only two with protein. The rest are just vegetables. And um, one is couscous and, um, you know, and so on and so forth. So just I think this time of year, it's so hot that – you know, we, we don't, we're we not used to that. So, But the Carta de Musica, to go back to that, is an easy cracker to make. You know, if you have a pasta roller, it's very easy to do because you can just roll it through. It's thin enough. And then just bake it very gently, and you have these wonderful crackers ready to go for dipping in any kind of uh, sauces you're going to make or hummus mm-hmm. or mahamara. Um, I want to put a, a mahamara. I think it's called the uh, Mamnoon uh, Dipping Red uh, um dipping sauce or dipping, no, it's just a dipping, (laughs) I don't know what to call it, dipping dish.
0: (laughs) I think that's obvious, chef. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Here, so uh, one question for you on this cracker, Uh, you know, a pasta roller generally goes from one, which is the thickest, to seven or eight, which is the thinnest, what would you guess they took this cracker to, like a four or five, or do you think they took it to like a four, so about medium, like a so that would be a thick pasta, but a perfect size uh, thickness for a cracker.
1: Correct. You take it to four, and then you put those leaves on, and then you fold it, and then you do it one more time, so the leaves at are four planted in there. Yeah, yeah at, at four. four.
0: Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. That's a fun project to try and do at home, and if you've never tried yeah. it, if you, uh, KitchenAid, if you have a KitchenAid mixer, the pasta attachment for the KitchenAid mi- mixer is my favorite of their attachments, and they have a million attachments. Right, right. And believe me, I've tried them all, because KitchenAid's one of our sponsors here, and Uh, That pasta roller (laughs) is awesome. Up next, it's uh, peak of the season, cherry time. Let's talk about how to utilize these things in your recipes at home. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's time for Washington cherries. We're bursting with Washington cherries. They're popping all over the place. I've been using them this week in lots of different recipes. I was in the marketplace yesterday, Ballard Market specifically, and... They had a counter the size of my farm, a 20-acre counter of uh, cherries for sale. Uh, Not really, obviously. But, uh, no, just the the Rainiers are out, and they're really nice and firm right now. At the end of the season, those tend to get a little bit mushy and kind of miscolored. But right now, they are in perfect form. Uh, And so uh, I bought Bings, Vans, and Rainiers and uh, did some demos for evening, the TV show on King 5 coming up this month. Uh, Chef, uh, if if somebody said to you, here's a... Twenty pound box of Bing cherries for free, and they are perfect. And they're the kind that go to Japan. I would
1: Japan. give them. A, I, would, I, would give them
0: a, I would give them a hug. You know, there's there's the cherries that go to Japan, and then we get the rest, right? In Japan, yes. uh, these cherries used to sell for a dollar or two dollars a piece. Some of these big, fabulous cherries that we're seeing because the international marketplace isn't the same as it used to be, and they can't get shipping right. and all sorts of things. So we're seeing some incredible quality product. This year in our stores, what's the first thing you would do? And give me two more after it uh, the, with uh, a so the, gift of a 20-pound box of Bing cherries.
1: So the first thing I would do is uh, rinse them off on the cold water gently mm-hmm. in a big bowl of water. Mm-hmm. And then I would, uh, of course, dry them. But the next thing I would do after that is pop a few in my mouth. Yes. To just make sure because I cannot work on cherries and not eat a bunch of them. That would be the first thing I would do. The next thing I would do is probably pit them um, because I'm going to be canning some and I'm going to be eating some in the next few days. Okay. Because Bing cherries actually are very good at keeping well for a few days, much more than the Rainier. The Rainier are a bit more sensitive than than the, than the Bing. So now, I would argue, would Chef,
0: on that is that the Bing's probably bruised just the same, but they're so dark red you can't tell.
1: Well, Matt, that might be the truth. Yeah. That might be true. I truth. wonder if that that's true. true. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's true, though. Okay, so what are you going to can uh, them with? Well, the, the canning is a syrup of sugar, a light syrup of sugar that I make. Oh, I have done that for many years. Light syrup of sugar. And what I do is I go in the garden and grab tons of lemon verbena, a bit of lemon balm, and uh, guess what the other herb is?
0: And time. a syssop. Oh, no, time. No,
1: time. And then I put everything into the syrup, and I macerate that into the syrup so it be- gives, gives it a flavor. I put a little bit of vanilla... Um, uh, a vanilla, vanilla bean open in half, you know, so the specks comes out. And that's about the extent of what I'm going to do in that syrup. Then I take that syrup and I pour it over the cherries into the jar. And I can the jar, close them, and I can the jar for about 11 to 12 minutes boiling water mm-hmm. and be done. Then I put them away and then there's nothing more pleasant than opening that jar somewhere in January. Dreaduary, as we call it. Mm-hmm. and. You know, having some agendas, Vanilla Ice Cream and some Bing Cherry. Mm -hmm.
0: Ooh, baby. Sounds so good.
1: While you're watching a movie on a Mm -hmm. cold night. Anyway, that's one way to do it. But the other way is, of course, fresh. So fresh, I like to use it in two different ways. I like to make a diplomat cream, which is basically pastry cream and whipped cream together. Put that on a piece of, uh, take a piece of uh, um, uh, puff pastry, bake that blind bake which means you put another sheet pan right on top of it so it doesn't rise too much. You put your diplomat cream on top. After it's baked, you just take the diplomat cream when it's cold and put the diplomat cream on top of the puff pastry and then line up half bean cherries on top of that that have been lightly poached. Lightly poached means um, syrup of sugar just drop in the cherries for about 10 seconds, take them out, put them out, let them cool off, and then use those cherries. And then put them on top of that tart. Mm -hmm. And then use that syrup to just reduce it down to a very thick, thick syrup. And then Mm -hmm. drizzle that on top of your pie, of your uh, tart. And then you can choose whipped cream or not if you want to, more whipped cream. But I wouldn't because there is already whipped cream in my pastry cream. Um, And those would make a nice cherry tart.
0: Yes, that would. And, of
1: course, the other half of the cherries or the other third of the cherry would be made into something hot. I would make like a chutney. I love cooking with Bing cherries. Bing like you did you did a uh, uh, barbecue sauce and in the same context I would take shallots, I would take tarragon, I would take uh, thyme, blossom, you know we have lots of blossom thyme right now. I would take all this stuff and sweat it down add my cubed cherries or quartered cherries, put everything together, I would put a little bit a tiny tiny bit of nutmeg grated and I would cook that very gently with a little bit of red wine. And I would cook it very slowly until it becomes like a compote, and I would use that in the future uh, because I will stay once it's cooled down. I can put that in the fridge, mm-hmm. and I will use that for garnish on cheese tray, on even as a, as a spread for. Uh, we were talking about cracker in the previous segment. You know, you could have a cracker with some of that, a little bit of that mahamaras uh, uh, spread or hummus or whatever. I mean, it, it marries with a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. so don't I forget one thing in the red wine we, vinegar. Red wine vinegar. Mm-hmm. That's important because I don't want it to be sweet. I want it to be sweet and sour.
0: Right. So, those so are the kind of things, well. those little things that you just made. Like, I kind of consider them sometimes in the mustarda family a little bit. That one didn't have any yeah. mustard in it, but it's the same idea. But those are really you, good yeah. on fresh cheeses, like a fresh chev, right? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just really, fresh that's the perfect. Of any kind. When you get a cheese that has too much going on, I don't like putting those kind of sauces on top. I like them on just no. fresh custardy, like a triple cram or you know, just yeah. just something that's not presenting itself with tons and tons of flavor.
1: Yeah, this is the time of the year too. When you go to the farmers market, you might be able to find somebody to sell you raw milk, and you come home and you just you know cook. You just bring that raw milk to temperature, to a squeeze of lemon in there, separate the whey. Now you have fresh fresh curd in your house. Yeah, you got ricotta. I only have, all you have to do is mix that with some nice fresh herbs uh, and then that, that cherry uh, chutney on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: So one of my favorite things to do, we only have two minutes, uh, but uh, one of my favorite things to do is let the grocery store help me out, right? I'm having dinner party. I've got plenty to do. I don't need extra work when I don't need to. So I like to, you know, so I'm going to have ice cream tonight with my cherries, right? So I've got my cherries pitted. They're split in half. I make sure there's no seeds in them. Because the worst thing at a dinner party is sending someone to the hospital with a broken tooth, right? So um, I go ahead, I pit them, but then I double check by cutting them in half and looking at each cherry. Then uh, I get my ice cream into a bowl. I was using Whidbey Island ice cream this week. It's uh, we have so many, we're blessed with so many good uh, local oh, yeah. ice creameries right now. And um, what I, I so I bought the Whidbey Island ice cream. I didn't make my own ice cream, and then I got bought the cherries. Uh, who knows. Uh, S- s- some farmer in Eastern Washington grew those cherries, and I'm very thankful. And then uh, I bought a jar of Franz uh, chocolate sauce. Uh, so that's so that's uh, you know that gave me a head up, uh, uh, you know, a leg up in my dessert. So now I've got everything done. All I have to do is marry the chocolate sauce, which I put on a low heat, and then I put if I put say two ounces of chocolate sauce, I put one ounce of bourbon in it. And uh, I I put that together because I don't like when chocolate sauce goes on ice cream and then just plops there and stays in one big fudgy spoonful. I like to thin it out and spread it out over my ice cream. So I brought my uh, chocolate sauce up to temp, my bourbon up to temp. I I, uh, was having children for uh, dessert, not children for dessert, but at the dessert table. (laughs) And uh, so I lit up the bourbon and burned off the alcohol. And then at the last second I threw in my have cherries, and I just stirred it around and then poured that chocolate cherry over my ice mm. cream. So delicious. Uh, Yumminess. It was super yummy and good fun, and everyone loves. You know, the, the key in that is I didn't cook the cherries. They still had the snap of a raw right, cherry, right, even though right. they were in a warm sauce, right? And you have to do that mm-hmm. all a la minute, or that ice cream melts in a heartbeat. So uh, just keep it to the side, and then right when you get all the ice cream to the table, and then go around and spoon over the hot fudge and cherry sauce on the table a little bit of bourbon up next uh terry you've heard these stories from your own kitchens uh two of my former employees um, met at the restaurant they ended up getting married they've traveled uh and they're from different countries and now they've started the business together And we're going to talk to them when we come back here on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97 3 fm We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas, and I'm joined by my friend and the chef in the chapeau. Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. There you go. Hey, Terry, I know this has probably happened in your kitchens before. Uh, I haven't um, had the pleasure uh, very often, a few times, but um, mostly when people leave us, they go to open their own restaurants. But these young folks have gone off and uh, traveled the world and uh, have come back and opened a, a little bakery called Osonegro Baking Co. Uh, if you go to com, you can get on their website and find out where they're going to be. But they've opened this fabulous little bakery. We've invited them on the show. Uh, we, this is uh, Asselin and uh, Sebastian. Hi. Welcome to the show, you guys.
3: Hi, thank you. Hello, thank you.
0: Tell us about your baking company and your travels and how you met and where you're going and where you're going to be this weekend and all those fun things that have to do with uh, running a business.
4: Sebastian, and I met at Lola working for Tom Douglas, um, working in the kitchen a couple, five years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got married in 2017 and quickly went to Chile to visit Seba's family. That's where he's from, Valparaiso, Chile. And I think I had tried an Alpohor, it's the cookie that we make, um, once or twice before going to Chile. But once we were there, there were so many um, amazing markets and little bakeries, and we tried them everywhere, and um, it quickly became a favorite of mine, and it was something Seba had grown up eating. Um, so to give a little background, Alpahores are a traditionally South American cookie, and it's two butter cookies filled with thick dulce de leche or manjar and covered in chocolate. Um, so they're decadent and delicious. And uh, when we were traveling across Chile, we just kept saying how they're nowhere to find these in Seattle. They're so amazing. Um, and we kept thinking about all of the amazing flavors we could make with Northwest ingredients. And that was kind of what built this company. And then when we came home. We were both working full time. And once we were Looking the pandem- <laughs> pandemic hit, we had all this time and we were like, no, this is when we need to start. Recipe testing our alpha recipe, um, we tried it a few times, but you know it takes a lot of time to give to that sort of thing. So, uh, Oso Negro was born.
0: There you go, Oso Negro meaning Black Bear Baking Company, and I'm just going to spell the word of the cookie that you make. It's called Alpha A L F A J O R E S Alpha Jorez. Uh, cookies and li- like you said, it's a little bit like um, our little mochi donut bake or or hot pot donuts. You can make any flavor, any look, any style that you want, and mm-hmm. it's it's a fun little way to spend the day is uh, trying all these cookies.
4: Yeah, they're so good with espresso and just a decadent little
3: treat. Yeah, uh, normally if you go to Chile or Argentina or even though some part of the South America, Peru or Colombia. You can find the two traditional ones. One is maizena, there's lemon zest, cognac, and cornstarch. And another one is the classic classic that you can find everywhere in Latin America. There's a black chocolate. But after we started thinking like, oh, we shouldn't make like seasonal flavors with some uh, things from... Uh, Seattle, especially almost all the products that we are using, they are from Washington. The mm-hmm. flour, or if we need to use any fruit or anything like that, we are buying here in Washington. So a lot of people are asking, like, where did you guys bring it? And it's like, no, we made it from scratch, everything.
0: Everything, And so, <laughs> so you have these two, uh, I saw a picture of them. They're like two little... Uh, cookies, two little round, almost like shortbread looking cookies. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. uh, you said, is simply, um, if I could understand it correctly, just cornstarch, uh, butter, and salt. Is that right? Or uh, a flour flour? Cornstarch yeah. and
4: flour, yeah. yeah. Cornstarch and flour, eggs, butter, salt. Um, there's
0: honey. So you get a nice little snap. And then uh, on the fillings, is it just classic kind of buttercreams, or do you make curds? And I, I heard you say dulce de leche and, and the lemon curd. Yeah. But uh, what else do you – how do you use the local fruits?
4: So the traditional um, filling is dulce de leche, so a thick caramel that we make from sweetened condensed milk. Um, and then our variations, we've been adding our fillings within the dulce de leche. So we'll do a little ring um, and then different fruit fillings. Like right now we've got fresh strawberry coming up. Fresh Washington strawberry. We've done um, apricot. We've done uh, coconut cream pride for this last month. We did um, what else? Blueberry. We've done whiskey and walnut. Tons of different. Um, oh, pistachio. We have a pistachio ganache in one of them. So we use the little ring of dulce de leche to kind of hold in our center and then add flavors that way, and in the cookies as well.
0: That's a good trick for a lot of people at home when you're doing that in order to hold in your your fruit It doesn't drip out the side. That dulce de leche is thick, right? So that'll that'll contain the yeah. whole cookie and stick it together.
4: Oh, yeah, it's a nice little border.
0: (laughs) So you've been selling these at farmer's markets around the city. Uh, Where can people find you in the next uh, few weeks?
4: Yeah, so we are, every Thursday, we're at the Berrien Farmer's Market. That's our south end spot um, at 10 to 6. Every Saturday, we are at the South Lake Union Market, 11 to 4. And then also, we just added the Des Moines Farmer's Market. That one's in the morning, 9 to 2, I believe.
3: Totally awesome.
4: Um, Saturday as well, and then on Sundays, every Sunday we're in Fremont. That's Fremont Sunday Market, and that is ten to four. And then we do pop ups here and there. And you can check out our website for the um, information on that. We was, do breweries and
0: yeah, I was just thinking about like you that. this Sunday in Fremont with your chocolate covered <laughs> cookies, making oh it's going to be so hot, <laughs> making a mess out of everybody there in Fremont. Terry, you got a yeah. question?
1: So do, do do you need to keep them cold, or, or is that okay room temp?
4: Uh, their best room temperature, and the cookies and that dulce leche really combine the best, but in um, this weekend, refrigeration might help because <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> the, the chocolate needs to stay tempered. So.
1: And uh, any, any uh, Bing cherry or Rainier cherry coming up on the recipe? We just talked about cherries.
4: Yes, uh, I've been really excited. I missed the chance last summer, but I've been um, dreaming of a cherry and hazelnut, of hmm yeah,
0: mm. using, hazelnut, that's using local cherries. Uh, Pamela, tell Wait, us your what? fact from last week about hazelnuts, just like... Uh, didn't you say like 70 60% of the hazelnuts in the world go into Nutella? So they're going to have a hard time finding uh, wow. hazelnuts oh for the alfajores.
2: <laughs> they're in big that's demand. That's wild. So
0: it's a good thing
2: that Oregon is growing them now. So we have a crack at getting them. Oh, that was a nut joke. <laughs> that was a nut joke. Um, Ace, tell them about the uh, dulce de leche. S- Sebastian was bragging about the care that goes into making it.
3: Yeah. So if you you gonna make like a traditional traditional one, how do you make it in Chile and Argentina? Like long time ago, it's basically just uh, milk and sugar, and do you start to reduce it for a long time, so start to convert into uh, condensed milk, and after depends how do you wanna use it. Do you wanna add more time? So if you wanna like a very thick, do you want to cook it more longer but at low temperature? so that you can have the thickness and how Tom says. So if you want to have anything, fruit or something like that, that you want to add in the middle, you need something that can stay in the cooking. But right now, this 2021, we're using condensed milk ready to go. So basically, we're just cooking in the sous vide machine. We are cooking about for 8 to 10 hours. Wow. slow. Wow. slow, yes. It's that
2: perfect consistency. It is. In the
0: sous vide machine, yeah.
2: Yeah. That I was wondering if you were standing over the stove the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we're so we're going <laughs> to need a few more hands for our
0: company
2: before that happens. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly.
2: And you're thinking um, and hoping and dreaming of a retail outlet where you might yeah, have a little so coffee shop? Yeah.
4: Yeah, our goal is to um, eventually have a space, and of course, share them with coffee because that's where they're, they're best. Um, and then also grow our product line. Um, we're hoping for a little Oso Negro Mercado, so a little market where we can share other um, Chilean products and Latin products, and um, beautiful wines, and coffee, and the Alpores, of course, other baked items. Um, so that's our that's our dream. Starting with our alcorres, because <laughs> they
3: yeah, because a lot of people don't know. So much about um, Chilean cuisine, but basically, if you go and all the grandmas and people in Chile, they cook uh, native Indian. The food, basically, it's like 70% of the food in Chile is native Indian cuisine. The Mapuches, that's what they call them, the mm-hmm. native Indian. So I want to pr- try to bring a little bit all the recipe back because right now with this world is. We are living right now. The people that don't have time, or you know, for be cooking for more than three or four hours, how they used to be the grandma. Yeah, we need more m- grandmothers. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, for sure, yes. Yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome. And Aslan yeah. and uh, Sebastian have been our guest. Uh, their company is called Oso Negro Baking Co com. Uh, it's uh, That's their website, and you can order up on the cookies. You can find out where they're going to be at the farmer's markets around town and uh, learn more about their company. It's a sweet sweet tale, and we're thrilled that they met at Lola Restaurant. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about marinades, how to use them, how to get the most out of them, uh, and thanks to you guys for being on our show today.
4: Thanks for having us. Thank you, Thank you, you guys. All right. All right. Good luck.
1: Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye.
0: Howdy, howdy. Here we are in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society radio show. Uh, Chef, um, that last segment kind of got my mouth watering for a little sandwich cookie of sorts. Uh, Yes. But uh, we have to move into another territory that's super tasty and fun. Marinades. Let's talk about marinades, Mm. how to use them, how to make them, how to use them correctly. Because I think some people might be doing things that are not good for you. Uh, And then... um, how to prepare the raw products before you marinate. I think that's something also that is helpful to know. So uh, let's start with that. Let's start with how do you prepare your meat? Let's just say you have a flank steak and a chicken thigh. All right. Uh, Those are the two things we're going to marinate today. So uh, let's start with the flank steak. Uh, Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, of course I do. Of course you do.
1: If I had a flank steak right now. So there is two different... uh, train of thoughts in my head when I think about I'm getting a flank steak, I'm like, first thing that goes through my head for marinade is wet or dry. Yes. Because those are two different results. Mm -hmm. Dry would be obviously a mix of different blend, a blend of different spices. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I would pick and choose for that. Most likely if I was doing a a dry spice, I would definitely have a little heat in it. So I would have a little jalapeno or chili or uh, something or dry pepper of some kind, maybe a smoke. Uh, dry chili from Spain, um, that would be a nice mix to go into that. Espollet comes to mind, um, and then a the blend of different spices with that, a little bit of salt. Grind the whole, you know, blend, grind the whole thing together and put that all over my steak on all both sides. It's just like a dry and
0: rub, rub. yes. Yeah, same like idea as a dry rub. Yeah,
1: and I would let it sit on the counter. I always let that sit on the counter for at least an hour or two. And I know that's not necessarily always a good recommendation, but That's what I do. I like to do that because I like to have everything to start working into the meat. So there's a little impregnation into the meat and the pores opens up. The cells break down, start breaking down a little bit. And then when I put my steak on the grill, I use super, super hot, but move the flame away. So then I can put that steak on the grill and get beautiful char on that spice, Mm -hmm. but not burning. And then after that, I move the steak back to where the heat is. Okay, so in terms of
0: yeah, so let's go back to the beginning Uh, on the steak itself. uh, When I'm putting a marinade on a flank steak, I tend to I uh, you know lay out the flank steak. I trim off any silver that's on it, and then I'll put Mm -hmm. some slashes in it across the grain of the meat. And that way, when I put my dry rub on it, or even if I'm going to put it, say, in Aloha, you know, that kind of Maui meat kind of marinade, yeah. soy sauce marinade, it gets into the meat better because I've slashed the meat a little bit. I didn't cut through the steak, but I've slashed it with a sharp knife across the grain. Uh, and then uh, that's a good way. Now, the other thing on a wet marinade on that same steak is that the marinade that you marinate in has to be cooked if you're going to use it as a sauce again. And that's where sometimes... Oh, yeah people make a mistake. They'll marinate the raw steak in this marinade, and then they'll use that marinade as a sauce, and that's not something that you want to do. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, if all your temps are correct, it wouldn't hurt you because the steak is rare in the middle and blah, 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 but it's not something you want to do. You If, if uh, you just take that marinade and you put it into a pan and boil it off, Reduce it Correct. down, and now you've got a little glaze for the steak that you marinated in the first place.
1: Absolutely. That's all it takes is put it in a small pan, put it on your grill, put it next to your steak, you know, and let it cook and marinate and reduce down, and then brush your steak at the end after it's cooked. After you slice it, you can just drizzle a little bit on the pieces. Yeah. because Remember, the inside pieces of the center is not going to be having any marinade on it, but the best part of any piece of meat, we talk about this all the time, Tom, is very often... The outside, because that's where all the flavoring that you've added is. Yeah. And you've got that nice crust. So once you've sliced, sliced your flank steak, you just brush the, the, the reduced marinade into the steak, and everything has that flavor.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's move on to chicken thighs, and let's Ooh, do a thigh. wet marinade, all right? So, so wet
1: marinade, I always go to the same place. Soy sauce, sesame oil, toasted sesame oil, grated ginger, and a little bit of Dijon mustard. Uh, you will notice that in my marinade, mostly mustard is always there.
0: I was going to say I've uh, never seen you use a little bit of Dijon mustard. Well, <laughs> I think that's a lie. No,
1: I use a I use a little bit, so it's it's basically the binding agent that will allow the the marinade to be glazing the to be on top of the meat and staying on top. And I marinate that usually. I, I sometimes I've done it the night before, you know, where it's overnight in the leg mm-hmm. uh, on the thighs. I mean, and then you switch that around. And then the next day I just shake it and throw that on the grill. Again, no flame, just very hot heat, uh heat but no flame underneath and then get that nice sear of that marinade that's on the skin and really 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 getting to the chicken. And then I take that the leftover liquid marinade that I have and then slow, slowly bring it to a boil and then use that as a brushing on top of the the chicken, once the chicken is cooked.
0: And once it's boiled. It's so let's go, again, yeah. let's go back to the beginning on the chicken thighs. So uh, if you're at the grocery store, I like to buy local. So I'll buy a Washington mm-hmm. a chicken thigh. Uh, and then uh, for me, when I'm marinating thighs like this, I don't like to marinate them bone in. I mean, uh, I take that thigh bone out and put it into my chicken stock bag in the freezer for the next right. time I make stock. But then when you butterfly out that chicken thigh, your marinade gets in all the nooks and crannies and it, and I do leave the skin on, right? And so uh, yeah. now you're you're set up for success with your marinade because it's going to taste uh, that goodness all the way through the meat.
1: Yeah, and taking it off the bone is a, is a good practice for future usage, especially if you You know, if you buy thighs, you're not gonna buy one thighs for one dinner. You're gonna buy, you know, six or whatever the package is, and you're gonna have some leftovers. So if you bone them out, you have this beautiful, already cooked, cold chicken in your refrigerator. All you have to do is take a knife and slice it, put it on a sandwich, throw it into a salad with some toasted almond and some greens and um, maybe green beans right now in season. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, and all that stuff. You know, and you have a wonderful salad on hand. Just just, just like that. Very simple and very quick. The same dressing can be used, the marinade that you had originally, that you had brought to a boil. You know, if you have some leftovers, just add a little bit more uh, soy sauce to it, and then you have a wonderful dressing for your salad.
0: So uh, the other thing that I like to do is and you, your marinade is very, very wintry in my mind with the Dijon mustard and stuff, although obviously it can be used. But there's also mm-hmm. so many herbs and so many bits and pieces. Let's say you're shucking oh. or pitting a couple of pounds of cherries for, for your canning project. All those little leftover bits and stuff can go into your marinade. All the fresh herbs in your, in your garden can go into your marinade. Mm. The thing you want to avoid is vinegar, right? You don't want to put a bunch of wine yeah. and some vinegar in there or lemon Correct. juice unless you're only marinating for five minutes. But if you're marinating overnight, right. you don't want any acid in there because it starts to break down the meat and it gives you kind of a mealy mouthfeel the next day.
1: And the lemon juice part is always a good thing to add at the end. Once you've cut your chicken, you taste it and you go, oh, I need a little zinc. Just a little lemon juice yeah. right
0: on top. Yeah. Or then, while cool. while you're grilling, squeeze it over the top like, like true, while true. you're grilling, like the Greeks do, and uh, that is a delicious right. way to go. So, oh um, yeah, the Greeks with the lamb, oh, oh, oh gives me chills oh, to man. talk about it. Oh, I I'm lucky some. my wife's a Greek, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Although we don't know right now because my daughter did a, one of those ancestry tests and. The Greek part Uh didn't show up. So maybe there's some Uh hanky-panky going in the family story going around. We're going to find out. Jackie was so upset she went and got her own ancestry kit. So we're going to see what the real deal. I think maybe she's been lying to me all this time. You know, we've got a fun second hour coming up. Uh, Renee Erickson's going to be with her new book, Get Away. Delicious variations on the salad niçoise. And uh, lastly, we're going to play Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. Uh, Right here on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to our second hour of the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. It's jam-packed. We're excited to be here. We're here every week, Saturdays and Sundays, two hours each day on Cairo. If you miss us there when you're out in your garden or driving or or uh, in your kitchen while you're cooking, uh, you can get us on a podcast. It's a good, fun way to spend a couple hours on the weekend to get rid of all life's problems and just think about food and wine and deliciousness and uh, of the fabulous guests that we have on the show. Speaking of which, uh, one of our favorites is here right now. Renee Erickson is here to talk about her new restaurants and her new her new book called "Getaway: Food and Drink to Transport You. Yes, uh, And of course, I thought you were going to stay to play Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, but you, you're not, apparently. I spared um, her. You spared her that that part of the conversation. <laughs> I do remember
5: beating you, I think.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's not possible. <laughs> that's not yeah. possible, I, I don't I think. think. I
1: like the way game. she starts. I like that, Tony. That's cool.
0: Great. She was supposed to do two segments. Now we're going to do a half a segment <laughs> okay, with her. Okay, goodbye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do that. Let's uh, get started right away with uh renee uh let's talk about the book first and then we'll talk about your restaurants in the next segment the the new book food and drink to transport you it's called getaway and there's a shot uh that honestly it looks like washington state i know it's supposed to look like uh, portofino or something Mm -hmm. like that but uh, uh tell us about the book and the theory behind it and all that
5: sure it is in fact washington state it's um a photo taken from my parents deck um, it 's a cabin that we have had for my entire life. I think my parents bought it. It was a shack with literally with holes in the walls mm-hmm. and um, we recently remodeled it for them to move into um, to make them leave their house that was too large and hard to manage. Um, but the book is a it 's six chapters, six places in the world that have been really inspirational to me as a cook over the last twenty five years mm-hmm. so it's um, It starts in Rome, which is where I kind of fell in love with food as an artist living in Rome um, so Rome. Paris, Normandy, London, Baja, California, and Seattle. And they're essentially an order in, like, kind of the history of me being curious about food. And Seattle's could have gone anywhere.
4: So mm-hmm.
5: it's just at the end. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and it's, it's most – there's not a single dessert recipe in it. So sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> I know. I was like, well, I just forgot that. Well, yeah. Classic. <laughs> I'm like, let's just have more wine. We don't need dessert. Um, but um, – it's it's has a lot it has six different like kind of very low ABV cocktails in it, uh-huh. um, lots of spritzes and things with vermouth and sherry, and then food that is intentionally um, meant to be shareable and simple to put together with friends and 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 all have either um, something personal that mattered to me in these places um, or things that other chefs that I admire um, did and mm-hmm. that I try to emulate or be creative by
1: so it's going to be 100 degrees it's going to be 100 degrees this weekend
5: what to drink
1: what would you what would, <laughs> what would you make See, it's everything you have and i'm going to i'm going to go travel to bellingham oh okay So what are, what are you what are you going to make
5: because
1: oh, um, I'm not cooking. You're no, cooking. I know,
5: right? <laughs> uh, it's it's too hot. There's no stoves to turn on. Um, it's going to be a cold stove society mm-hmm. in Seattle. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Literally. Um,
2: Good one. Um,
5: yeah. Uh, I would make anything that is um, a vegetable, essentially. So, right? like cucumber salad. I think I actually have cherry tomatoes that are ripe on my tomato plant, so... Um there's a toast re- There's lots of toast recipes everywhere in the world, but I have some as well. Um opening up a can of sardines with making like a pesto, I think I would mm. love to do with some also toast, although I actually just told Maggie my niece who's with us today. She um we're going to have toast minus the toasting. We're just going to have bread. <laughs> Cuz I'm not even going to make toast. I'm bread. like, nope, it's not happening. Um but yeah, there's lots of, you know, like Uh, All the, like, smoked and cured fish I think would be really great with lettuces. Um, I'm a big fan of – I've kind of been starting to make a lot of vinaigrettes with nuts and tahinis and things like that. So just whatever you have that you can put in a blender and make really fast, I love. So –
0: so when you 're in rome let 's go to the heart of this book and the inspiration that it brings to you when you 're in Rome, uh, I guess a question I get asked all the time is like, this is, where did you think of this dish <laughs> and so what 's the process for you when you 're traveling and, uh, and uh, out and about and, and how does it translate all the way back to Seattle and into a book and into a restaurant
5: or sure. this book, I really wanted the recipes to be either like strong memories or, or over the last like you know Ten years let's say, um, things that I've experienced over and over again mm-hmm. um, in Rome it's the Roman food is is very simple in general, um, and' it's, it's generally considered um, like a lower cost food as well like they, they love offal and they love all the bits that they basically would keep when they were butchering animals for free mm-hmm. um, but there's also like a massively um, fabulous vegetable. Um, situation there so um, like there's an artichoke dish there's an eggplant parmesan dish in here that I'm obsessed with that I think is like polarizing for people because sometimes it can be really gloppy and oily um, but this is a it's kind of like a like in, in French food a tian. so like the vegetables are layered really thin and baked for a very long time so it kind of turns into this souffle almost like texture um, which I really love um, and then gosh um, focaccia, things like that, that are just, you know, like everyday foods that, you know, have become part of what I love about visiting there and mm-hmm. and those sort of things. And anchovies as well, like anchovies everywhere yeah in Rome in particular.
0: And so you, you're walking the markets and you're out and about. You've probably rented a house so you can mm-hmm. cook at home. I found yep. that really helpful in translating
5: Absolutely. A, a
0: thought or a feeling back to my home kitchen is having cooked it there.
5: Sure. Rome is also... Because I was there when I was 20 and 21 the mm-hmm. first time. And so, like, the food that I was exposed to, I was like super poor. And so, I didn't have any money, but I would like skip a meal so that I could eat a meal, mm-hmm. or I would skip a meal and eat gelato. Um, <laughs> um, but um, it, you know, like, I think food memories are so impactful as a human. And so, those, when I was young, living there, and being able to, like, like it was the first place I learned about a porcini mushroom, you mm-hmm. know, where I was just like, and there's a story in there about it where I foolishly had no idea how expensive they were. So I was like, I'm going to buy six of them. And I was immediately like, I'm going to buy one, mm-hmm. barely. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, you just, you, you walk around, you're in the market. It's, you know, very much a, a place where you only get the things when they're in season, mm-hmm. um, which is really helpful as a cook because you can really pay attention to, like, why there's a mountain of, eggplant sorry um and uh and yeah so it it has a way to, it, it teaches you just by being in the in the space and yeah. and then just paying attention to what they're like hawking at at the, at the market is what what you want to buy
0: and i love when they tell you how to cook it oh yeah i know it's so fun to th- just to hear them say cuz they have no idea that you're a cook already right sure. so it's like it's super fun okay renée's going to stay with us for one more segment we're going to get into how some of the recipes and ideas and th- Uh, genuine soulful thoughts and getaway translate into the backbone maybe of some of her restaurants Uh, we're on cairo radio this is the hot stove society show we're excited that you're here Uh, stay with us right now here we go we're back it's the hot stove society show we're having a ball here today excited to be with you hopefully you're in your garden right now even though it's blistering hot out there Uh, i know jackie called and said that the Flowers. It's so hot at our farm in prosser. The really? tomato yeah. flowers are, are starting to fall off. Oh, no. So we'll have to That's we'll terrible. have to wait for the next flush after this hot spell. This has happened before, but the heat makes the plants drop their flowers, and so yep. we'll have to wait for the next setting.
5: Two thousand nine. I remember. Yeah. We shut Bow Street down. We literally thought it was like everyone was coming to die. It was so hot. <laughs> we were like turn everything off.
0: <laughs> our guest is Renee Erickson. She's got a new book out called uh, "Getaway: Food and Drink to Transport You." And we were talking in the last segment about the book itself, and let's talk about why it's important, right? You're an artist. Uh, you're a restaurateur. You're so many things more than what you do, than one one or two things that you're defined by, right? You, you, you bring so much to the table. Uh, tell us about how maybe some of the trips that you took that inspired Getaway became some of the backbone in your restaurant career.
5: Sure. Um, I think the biggest story that people are surprised to hear about is the connection to normandy which is kind of a oddball place i think in the in a, in in a that's where terry's
0: from you know that right? i love
5: i well it's in my book so <laughs> you should know that it's it's uh he's not from normandy where are you from are you no, right I'm from
1: i'm from i'm from vende just below Brittany, just south okay, of North. So just south, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I lived I lived in Le Mont Saint Michel for seven months. In Le Mont Saint Michel. Wow. I worked wow. in Le Mont Saint Michel.
5: That's beautiful. I love it there. When I was uh getting ready to where I was trying to imagine opening Walrus and the Carpenter, um, every time I would go to Paris I was blown away by like oysters on every corner, very important in the in the dining world there, and I would come home and it would just be like where are the oysters? We grow all these oysters. We have this t- amazing place to produce oysters. And it was, like, this thing that got, like, re- relegated to the, like, back of the steakhouse kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I I tend to f- open restaurants that are things that I miss after traveling or, you know, like, experiences and, and, and food. And so Walrus was um, entirely that. So I was trying to make something that was... Um, you know, felt like the experiences that I would have when I was traveling, and so to do that, I was like, well, I need to go to Normandy because that's where all the oysters are grown. Mm-hmm. And then um, met an oysterman who um, was standing on the side of the road in Paris, who invited us to his house. And now we're he was actually we featured him in my first cookbook, Stefan, and he lives in uh, dives Sur Mer, which is a little town on the coast. And um, and I've you know you just it's the best part about travel is you meet people and then they. You know, you show, have a you, history, show you their you know. world. Yeah. 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 So they're, you know, long friends and we've sent tons of people to stay with them. And I think, you know, the for me, food is really about that connection and like experiences that you can offer people or or your friends. You know, in the restaurants obviously it's not entirely for your family or friends, but in general it's really the intention behind it. So um yeah, so Walrus was it was essentially like traveling over and over again and wanting that. And so the chapter in Normandy is just the result of, of all that time mm-hmm. spent there. Mm-hmm. You
2: were successful in creating uh, the Oyster Bar Field, unlike there was nothing like it in Seattle. Uh-uh. But the thought that you put into the room and the setup and the menu, it, it transported you. I
5: love that. Yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah,
1: and there's there is still nothing like that in Seattle. No.
5: Oh, <laughs> that's I, the only one. It's it's a special place for sure. It's- what do you
0: mean? I shuck oysters all the time <laughs> on the sidewalk in front of Sea Town. What are you talking about?
1: No, no. But I'm talking about the feel,
0: <laughs> style. No, of what course. What you accomplished
1: not. In, uh, in 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 is a uh, very specific to Rene Erickson oh, kind yeah. of. And Pam, you were saying, uh, and, and yeah, it's beautiful.
0: Pam, you were saying during the break that that artistic side is something that was unexpected to you of what renee brings to the table i
2: I didn't know that i i thought because she's always hanging out with jeffrey mitchell (laughs) uh, that that's where all the art art came from but i'm so pleased to learn that it's in you you know it's part of your soul
5: for sure it's um i think i i mean my entire like life as a student has been kind of surrounded by the people that have made huge impacts to me are all artists. So like even all the way back to like junior high school, my two art teachers were, I was, that's why I wanted to be an artist and by, be a teacher was because of the experiences I had with them. But, um, it, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's taken me a long time to kind of realize how important my education in art has influenced me as a chef. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm it's fun. It's a great tie in. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. I was going to say you have a wonderful touch at the, Every single one of your restaurants when you walk in is a feel of someone has spent and spent their personality into this restaurant. And many restaurants don't feel like that. Yeah. Yours is very specific to you. So congratulations for being able to reflect that into the public eye and into the guests. And it, it helps the, to me, I think it helps the dining experience when we go to your restaurant.
5: Thank you. Yeah, my business partner Jeremy and I do all the interiors, and he does all the branding and you know the you know all the stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it's fun. Like we have a really great, um, we collaborate really well, and I think he always says that he's trying to like imagine what I would want it to be, um, which is really charming. <laughs> uh-huh. And like, oh, you know, I'm always like, oh, all right, sorry, but um, it's it's fun. Like we have a really good time coming up with all that, so.
0: What do you think has been the most uh, difficult transition for you from going from the Boat Street, where you were certainly celebrated throughout the city, including by us, right? You came—I don't know if you remember—coming to our summer campers yeah. and and the culinary camp and all, all sorts of things, and all the way to now where you have what, maybe fifteen restaurants, and uh, you you're running an empire. So, what's the biggest uh, thing that helped you to that transition?
5: I, you know, I I, I think when I look at People that open restaurants that didn't grow up in restaurants, I feel like they kind of miss the the connection to your team. Mm-hmm. And that I think having been you know, like we were just talking about the heat wave at Boat Street in two thousand nine and how we were just like we literally turned the stove off. We had no candles. We turned the, you know, like it was just like just you're all eating gazpacho for like four <laughs> days. Um, and so, like that's having it. a having a, you know, like really understanding what it's like to work in restaurants, I think is 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 really important. And I think a lot of times that's missed on on the the um, people that own restaurants. And right. so yeah, so we're we're working on our cold menu options right now for all the restaurants <laughs> yeah. for, for mostly for Saturday or Sunday Monday where it's just going to be bonkers. Yeah. But Yeah, I mean, I just, I still feel like I'm like, you know, a cook that still cleans up the unpleasant things that happen in bathrooms and all, you know, like you just do all the stuff that you need to do. And I don't think that's lost on our staff. Right. Yeah.
0: I also think that that is um, something I learned during the pandemic, or uh, I, I will say relearned is that. Uh, You know, a week after the we let everyone go, we were back open at the warehouse. And I was in the pantry working the dessert station, the laundry station, the pantry station, 12 hours a day. And it really made me realize that I had lost some of that connection to the actual day-to-day job. And so what you're saying, I think uh, I feel strongly. I know, Chef, you were back on the stove in a minute uh, after the pandemic started.
1: At Luke, I was there for like probably the last six months or what before when we first reopened and then all the way to the end of the year. And yeah. it was every day on the line back to like, it was me and one guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like, we were hustling.
5: I know. 10, it's not the same at 30 years old is it? <laughs> well,
1: no, it's not. It's 48, 48. I'm
5: like, my feet No, hurt. No, Renee, Rene, you're
1: right. <laughs> no, a yeah. certain thing that should be, that should be prohibited. That's probably one yeah. of them.
5: Yeah. I don't
1: yeah. It was, it was very fun. And it was, you're right, Tom, it brings you back to, you know, it's nice to have, You know, we started as being on the line, and then we kind of moved up. And then to go back is really, really fun. It's really what we actually started with and wanted to. You know, and and that's fun. For sure. I wouldn't want to do it every day, though. I could not.
0: (laughs) I still do it every weekend. uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I work the line down. Not the line line. I work the oyster line down at Seatown. And my record is uh, almost 60 dozen oysters in an afternoon Damn. at Seatown on Saturday, which is nothing, I'm sure, compared to walrus and carpenter, but... Uh, it 's still it 's still super fun and it 's fun being out in the market and seeing all the craziness that goes on out there. you know you have yeah. it on your patios. the market is nuts yeah. about the, some of the crazies that hang out down there so uh, we have free you get high when you get lunch because on the brick circle in front of us are all the drug dealers and uh, so we feel like we 're offering a service to our guest uh, a freebie a freebie high so <laughs> and of course, the park across the street. Anyway, Renee Erickson has been our guest. Her new book is called "Food that and <laughs> Drink: Food and Drink to Transport You." It's called "Getaway." It's super fun. And our good friend Sarah Dickerman, who's been on this show yeah. many times, uh, is the co-author of that book. So get out and get a copy and, and uh, live live vicariously through Renee's travels. Uh, when Thank we you, come Renee. back, uh, let's you, talk Terry. about uh, some summer fabulous salads of pamela's favorite book you know pamela said that this was her favorite book not yours or not mine or not Terry's, but that Uh this book called salad for president is her favorite book when we come back on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm we are back in the hot stove society kitchen right here in downtown seattle we're happy that you've joined us Hopefully you're out somewhere finding some coolness uh, this sweltering weekend. Uh, You know, it's a little bit like uh, the snow snowmagedons that happened here in Seattle. You know, about twenty four days in advance, a month a month in advance, they start telling us it's going to snow next. Next month on Tuesday, and then uh, that's the way I felt about some, uh, this Geddon that we're getting into right now. They've been talking about it for 10 days, and unfortunately, I think it's real. Uh, it is, uh, they're now up to 106 degrees, is the forecast on Monday, So and 116 oh degrees God. at our farm in Prosser. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry
1: Rochero, the chef in the hat, and that's hot.
0: And that's hot, and we're hot, although yes. uh, it is... Um, Uh, beautifully tempered here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. If you ever want to come, you'll get cool here. Uh, Pamela, our producer, uh, has her favorite book in front of me right now. It's called Salad for President, a cookbook inspired by artists. Uh, Julia Sherman is the the author. And tell us about this book and why it's so important to you, Pam.
2: Because of the beauty of the vegetables as composed and arranged by the artist. It uh, exposed me to some new... Ways to heighten the flavor and satisfaction in salad. Because when I try to convince my husband that we're having salad for dinner, he's like, but when is dinner? (laughs) You've got to be able to add some muscle to it. Yeah. And I love, and Terry, I want you to say it in the beautiful French way, a composed salad. Is it salad? Sal-
1: salad? Salad composé.
2: Yes, because I think that makes such a difference in the appeal if you take the time to make it look Correct. beautiful and show every ingredient. So, Niçoise is the best example of that, don't you think? Sure.
1: You think? Yes, it is a great example of that, especially in this part of the world where we have this. I mean, we have a great tuna here, the albacore tuna, you know, 50 miles away from the coast. You can't get any more local than that. And uh, there is a lot of that. You can't overfish that. I mean, I guess you could like anything else, but that's definitely not the case. So, you know, and that tuna is great because it does really well in cooking. Like if you confit it, confit is cooked in, in olive oils very slowly and you end up with this tuna that has, um, a, to me, a more life consistency than what you find in the can. I have nothing against the can. I eat it all the time. I love it. But the one... Uh, the fresh tuna that you can buy and confit and slice very thin with a medium rare. You don't want this tuna to be rare. It's not a tuna that you want to eat rare. I think it's a tuna you want to eat at least medium rare to medium or cooked all the way. And you want to be slicing it and then crumble, uh, put it on top of your salad. Now, salad Nice was, it's very, it's a pretty basic salad. In, in Nice, you have lettuce on the bottom. So it depends on what you have. Right now we have red rib lettuce. We have, um, uh, Boston lettuce, like in the, in the backyard. And, um, you can also use uh, romaine, which is always nice because it brings a crunch into your salad. So I like the texture of the three different leaves. Um, so you use that as a base. And then on top of that, it's haricots vert, thin green beans, blanch super quickly. So they're staying crispy and then, um, hard boiled egg. So, um, I was fortunate enough, a friend of ours, um, brought us some duck egg the other day. So yesterday we actually had a tuna salad at home. We actually, I'll give you the, the version of what we had, but we used duck egg, hot boiled duck egg. and nice. Nine minutes, nine minutes in boiling water. And uh, a hot boil, um, a duck egg is heftier than a chicken egg. So it takes a little bit le- uh, more to cook, but nine minutes in boiling water and you have this soft hot boiled egg. And then you make a red wine vinaigrette which is the basic of normally what um salad niçoise is olive oil red wine vinegar and a little bit of Dijon mustard cuz i i just to put that in there and that's, uh, then that's my dressing for my oh squeeze them. and that's what my my dressing is for my uh salad niçoise so haricot vert hard boiled egg tuna lettuce and of course tomato when they're in season gorgeous tomato and then you finish the whole thing with a bunch of chopped parsley or chopped herb, basil, anything you have from the garden that's on top. And you put that on top and you're fantastic and rolling.
2: Gorgeous. Added to,
1: th- added to that, if you're eating bread, I'm not eating bread right now, so it's very hard as a Frenchman, but nice little crouton, crouton of fresh um, you know, bread from um, Tom's Bakery, you know, from the Dahlia Bakery, a nice loaf and make some nice crouton with that. And then put that on top and you're home.
0: So what about uh, little potatoes? Do you ever put potatoes on that salad?
1: Well, yes, I do, but normally I I did in the past, but I haven't in the last couple of months because I'm trying to lose weight.
0: But that is typical, right?
1: Yes, so that is definitely part of the dish, yes. Thank you.
0: So, uh, Pamela, one of the things I love about this book is that, uh, you know, so often I think uh, when you, you think of a dinner salad, everything's put into a bowl and it's all tossed and you get this big pile of stuff on a plate. And I do like the compositions, but not everything is set out in this book like uh, a niçoise salad where you have, you know, like clockwise around the place. You can tell exactly what's in. But I like that they limit themselves a little bit. Like on the squid salad, it's just two or three ingredients, right? Color is important when you're making a salad presentation. Uh, Texture and size is important of your ingredients so that they they all uh, come out looking edible and and really edible you know you, you want appealing appealing yeah you really wanted to kind of jump right. off the plate right. at you and in the summertime you have that choice now what other parts did you learn here from the book that um kind of the salad for president book that you didn't do before on your salads like I'm, I'm thinking when i went to i've gone to your house you've always served a rainbow on a plate right but uh that to me, your rainbow has a lot of stuff going on. Did you learn to simplify maybe from this book? I haven't done that yet. The <laughs> simplify.
2: <laughs> but the, the path forward for me that was an improvement was my dressings because okay. I never took those seriously and didn't understand emulsifying. Okay. So, and using other herbs and more spices, I was pretty much limited to that traditional Italian dry blend in my dressings, but there's a world out
0: there. Yeah. yeah, it seems like if you're going through all this effort to make a salad, then reaching into the fridge for a pre-made dressing. Are, Terrible. Uh, that's, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Yeah, so, yeah um, it,
1: there, is, there is way too many options out there to make wonderful dressing. I mean, very good and very simple. Not complicated, just you know, using fresh ingredients that will mm. definitely take your salad another level up.
0: You know, in our new bakery, we have a serious pie uh, case, uh, refrigeration case, where you can buy the, the pre-cooked uh, crust, the tomato sauce, the mozzarella, and uh, the different salad dressings that we, w- as we make them in the back, we jar now six or 12 bottles of those salad dressings. And it turns mm. out they're the number one seller in our serious <laughs> pie case are the, uh, the freshly well, made dressings.
1: Well, during the pandemic at Luke, you know, people keep asking for tarragon dressing that we use for regular house salad. Mm-hmm. So we did the same thing we jar them and we've been selling quite a bit of those also. Yeah, exactly. You know it's amazing but you know the difference between old dressing and what you find in the store is we're not trying to shelve it for 6 months in the sun. We're trying to uh, you know it goes from our refrigerator to your refrigerator. So mm-hmm. you know it's there is no preservative there is none of that. It's exactly the way we eat it and make it.
2: Alice Waters has a chapter in there. They invited her and I think every time we've been to Chez Panisse, we always comment on simplicity, what exactly. you are getting to, yeah. like her, gem, butter, uh, lettuces. The thing that sets her apart is that she has a light hand with her dressings and uh, allows the vegetables to shine through. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's
0: bold but simple at the, at the same time. I would agree, and I, I pulled open to this pulled chicken salad with napa cabbage and red curry puffed rice, and I think that's an mm. ex- exact example of of how you take a very simple salad napa cabbage and, and chicken. It doesn't get much more basic than that, right? And then it's got tons of fresh cilantro leaves, Thai basil leaves, things like that in it. So now you've got the punch from the from the herbs, you've got the protein from the chicken. The napa cabbage is kind of like your canvas that you're going to go right. on top of. And the effort went into uh, the curry, the red curry puffed rice. And so what does that right. get you? That gets you a punch of flavor, but it also gets you a crunchy texture. And we all love a good right. crouton on a salad, yeah. right? But this does the same thing. It gives you, like, a balanced, textured salad. And super fun, super flavorful, and a, an exciting salad. When you, when, as soon as you say, Napa cabbage and chicken salad, or you're going to say a napa cabbage chicken and red curry puffed rice salad. It just changes the whole dynamic before you even sit down to the table.
1: Yeah. And it definitely sounds, oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because the
1: other one is not as interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. No, so I'm, I'm some, good. yeah, Sometimes it's just adding that one special ingredient that changes your dynamic. Okay, Pamela's favorite book, for those of you who didn't hear, it's not mine. It's not our guest in the last segment, uh, Renee's. It's not Chef Terry's. It's called Salad for President by Julia Sherman. And honestly, it's a fabulous book. I'm just jealous. Uh, Up next, we're going to come back and finish up the show with Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Thank you for joining us. It's time for our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Rub With Love, uh, our small batch of versatile rubs. Sauces and mustards that bring extra layers of flavor to any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store, specialty shops, or find them online at TomDouglas.com. Bartels carries them. Uh, my buddy Stan, your buddy Stan, uh, has them online. Uh, he sells through Amazon. and he's one, I think he's our biggest retailer of our Spice Rubs individually. But, of course, your local grocery stores, QFC, Met Markets, Shoreline Central, you name it. You can find our sauces and rubs all over town. Pamela, how do we play this game, and who's our winner today?
2: Three contestants this week. We are going to invite our audiovisual audio visual whiz, Sean McFadden, to compete with Tom and Terry. Each uh, participant gets five questions, and the loser pays for shipping the prize. Today, the prize goes to Diane Christofferson, because she says uh, two hours of watching this show is Fun and worth it. Hey, way so to go,
0: Diane! She's going. To I love your father, Chris Christopherson's <laughs> music.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Diane's going to get a combo of pork, steak, and chicken rub because our brand manager reminds us that they make beautiful dry marinades. Mm-hmm. So, in do. keeping with um, today's show, so Terry likes to go first. <laughs> Terry, number one. What is a sous <laughs> yes. sauce? Onions. And what base do they go into? Onion
1: butter. Onion butter. Um, well, you can add it to bechamel. You can add it to many different things. Stop but,
2: right there. You got uh, the, the right answer. Bechamel and onions. Right. <laughs> All right, Mr. Rotero, What is the difference between a blonde
1: roux and a brown roux? So one is brown butter with flour, cooked in the oven and baked. So then it becomes brown. And then what's the other one? The blonde one? The blonde one is just not cooked as much.
0: Yeah. So that's a French version, the but there's idea. also
2: the Creole version. I think that's what oh. they were going more for, the addition of the meat drippings for the brown uh, in the oh, brown oh, room.
1: I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't go that. that you said blanc roux and brown I'm like, okay. I think you got it right. I'm good. I, th-
2: I think it's a yes. Basic. Yeah. This is a tricky one. Non-pareil means one thing in American baking, and it's a different savory item in France. Please name each.
1: I have no idea. A small pickled caper. Oh, yes. I've seen that. Yes, of (laughs) course.
2: (laughs) Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. And then the the American baking item would be the little sugar-coated pellets. What is uh, the butter substitute that margarine is made from?
1: Vegetable oil. Yes.
0: But it's hydrogenated vegetable oil. Typically. Yes, but it's vegetable oil.
2: On to Germany. Yes. The Germans have a popular dish called Hassenpfeffer. What is it made from?
1: My favorite meat in the world because it's so lean, it's beautiful, especially when it runs, when a gun is showing at them. It's a rabbit. Yes,
2: I, <laughs> I think you're going to win today. Sean, you ready? Yeah, he set the bar pretty he high. He What did he get? Four out of five? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. What is the herb blend in Herbes de Provence? You want the, the
0: herbs? The, yeah. Okay, let's see. At least three. Uh, three. I think three is fair.
2: Three is fair. Yeah, three. Uh,
0: let's start with uh, Parsley. <laughs> <And it's laughs> That's actually not one. Right thing. out of the Thank gate. How <laughs> did you miss? You had five to choose from, and you missed right out of the gate. Uh,
2: herbs
0: de Provence. Does anyone use that? Um, no. Oregano? No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Terry, do you want to tell Let's us? let move is, on. This is too painful. Uh, hey.
1: so what, what grows in the south of France? So, lavender. Yeah. time. Oh,
2: you know, now that you're mentioned. Rosemary. It, summer savory.
1: Rosemary. And then savory, summer savory or winter savory, well, summer savory in this case. That's usually the basis of that. And then you could actually add, you could add mint, which I love to put a little bit, just put a little bit of mint in there. So it's really bringing it around.
2: Okay. Uh, What is the common name for hazelnuts?
0: Filbert.
1: Yay!
0: Filbert nuts. No hesitation there.
1: In
2: candy making, what does the hardball stage refer to? Um, would that be something to do with the temperature of... Yeah. is it The, sugar, the sugar, two, syrup, yeah. Yeah, sugar syrup. Yeah, where the uh, sort of inverts at a certain temperature, is that... Really damn close, So <laughs> we're giving it to you. It's right. a, a test for the sugar syrup, describing the point at which a drop of boiling syrup immersed in cold water forms a rigid ball, usually around 260 degrees. That's what I meant. Yeah. Say.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is? Oh, you're this? learning from Tom Dale. That was a Tom's. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant.
2: What is the name for the thin matchstick slices of food? What do we call that cut?
0: Um. Oh, this seems like something I would know, but I'm freezing. She's a famous uh, TV chef personality, Julianne. Yay! Oh. Oh.
1: Yeah. yeah. That was good, Tom. Yeah. That was
0: a great hint. <laughs>
1: Oh uh, and a five.
2: Uh, what is a lumpia? Oh, it's isn't that a fried dumpling of sorts? It's dumpling the wrong of word? sorts.
5: <laughs>
2: of I like sorts. To throw up sorts in there just to like yeah, softly. Yeah. Yeah. Dumplings that are, it's, it's like
0: better. a fried dumpling that's shaped like a spring roll. Ah, yes. yes. So it would yes. be a Philippine Whoa.
2: egg roll. Terry's in the lead.
0: <laughs> or it could be what happens when somebody hits a golf ball in my forehead. I have a lumpia. Ooh, nice.
2: Tom Douglas, what is escabeche
0: and where did it originate? Uh, it originated in France and or in Portugal or someplace like that uh, on the other side of the pond. And uh, it is uh, fish that's been fried and then marinated, served typically room temperature.
2: Correct. What animal and what part of the animal is traditionally used for foie gras? Uh, traditionally, it's
0: goose, and it is their liver.
2: Okay. Screaming into the lead. What is Genoa, and where was it developed? Uh,
0: it was developed in France, and it is a sponge cake.
2: Uh, we'll give you point .5. It's from Gen- Genoa, Italy. Genoa, Italy. <laughs> What is Hopping John and when is it eaten? Hopping oh. John. <laughs> I know that
0: one. Do you? Tell me then, chef. I think it's a uh, black eyed peas Day. on New Year's, New Year's Day. Day.
1: It's a bean, a pea, a bean, Black pea, eyed peas uh, on New uh, Year's it's Day. Made, it's made for good luck and richness. Yeah.
2: Uh, Terry gave you the correct answer.
0: I, I had it too, <laughs> you so did I hate too. to break okay. it to you.
2: Yes. <laughs> And uh, name an old fashioned colonial era chewy bar cookie that is sweetened with molasses and is chock full of fruit and nuts.
0: I love them. Mazurka bar, a date bar, a bar of soap, a a whiskey bar. um, think about the molasses, a toffee the, bar molasses in the, in the color, a chest bar the and uh chewy uh it is a definitely i'm i'm it's a bar too high i'm lower than that bar
2: it's a hermit
0: have you ever heard of that chef what a hermit never me neither what is that
2: i'll make them for it's you it's a new
0: england thing she, you know she's from the willamette uh, romantic willamantic connecticut so Things happen up there that we just aren't... <laughs>
2: Never. No. They didn't make it we to the West know. Coast.
0: Okay, so who's our winner again? Tom, Tom, Tom's the winner. No, I think Terry got four out of five. I Tom, only got no, three. No, Tom's got two.
1: four, and I got four. So we both are
0: winners. Okay, you and see, Sean. Who? Sean, uh, you owe me $7.50 for shipping to... Diane Christofferson. Way to go, Diane. Say hi to your dad. This. <laughs> if you want to be part of our show like the cool Diane, you can join our community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. It's produced by Pam Hinckley. Uh, our uh, sound and uh, technical engineer is Sean. Don't call me a good at trivia. And our editor is Sean. Don't call me. Del Torre. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening
3: and stay cool.